I wonder uh, today as we dive into Philippians 4 and we wrap up this great letter, we've been walking through this for about the last 10 weeks, I wonder if, if Paul doesn't save kind of the best for last or, or save the most important for last or kind of puts a bow around this whole letter and it's like, okay, now you got to get this and you get this, you got the letter, you got what I've been trying to teach you, church. I wonder as we think about what we're going to get into our text today, if you ever run into people, you look at their lives and you think, man, they've got it all. They have the nice house, they have the nice car, they have the job, that's great. And if you look at their life on the outside, you'd say, boy, if I could have part of what they have or, or have some of what they have, but then when you get to know them, you notice that they're not content and they're unhappy. I think we probably always run into people. All of us probably know somebody who has what it seems like have reached kind of the American dream and they have it and you get to know them. They're like, they have everything. Why would they not be happy? But on the other side of the coin, we probably all know people who have little. People who maybe live paycheck to paycheck. They're struggling to pay their bills. Money's tight. Things are difficult. The house is small. The cars are breaking down. And you know them and, and you look at them and you're like, I don't know if I would want their life by looking at the outside. But when you get to know them, you go, wow, they're so peaceful people. They're so happy. They're so content with what they have. We probably all know people on both sides of the spectrum. And the same thing, we probably know people who have much and are very happy and content. We have no, know people who have little who are not happy and content. We probably know people like that. According to Action America, we are number one in both the highest per capita income and in the number of people who are discontent with life and pessimistic about the future. Pretty interesting. How are, we be, how are we number one in the world in terms of ranking of income? At the same time, we're number one in people who are down about the future. That just doesn't make sense. Today, as we finish the book of Philippians, in this middle of this thank you note, Paul brings out a word of advice, a direction from the Lord that we must grab onto. And, and as we look at the text today, I think it speaks so clearly to what we've been walking through in the year 2020. So let's dive in, Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply, amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greeting. All God's people here send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You read this and you see Paul's appreciation for the church in Philippi. 
for the believers there who were encouragers, the believers who sent funds, the believers who were, who were on board with him. And then Paul not only is expressing this heart of thankfulness, but he brings kind of like one last word, like, okay, now, church, I've been sharing with you now in this letter that we see it in chapters, but I've been sharing through this whole letter about how to have this joy, how to rejoice in the Lord, no matter what's going on in life, you can have it. And he says, let me give you one more point. I think the key text is verse 11. He says, I've learned the secret of being content no matter the circumstances. Paul said, I have what? I have learned. Say that word with me. I have learned. I have learned the secret of being content. Here's the incredible thing about Paul's life and Paul's circumstances. They were lousy. He was in a mess. He's in prison. He, he, he's broke. He has no money. His health was deteriorating. Many of his friends deserted him. Why? Because they thought he was crazy. He was so crazy for Christ. They're like, he's out of his head. They left him alone. And he says, I'm content. How could he say that? How, how can you be in prison, having health struggles, being financially broke, friends that are leaving you on the sidelines, along with a myriad of other things that we're probably not even aware of? And he goes, I'm content. I'm good. I mean, let, let's just define by kind of defining that word from the Apostle Paul. His perspective would say that contentment is maintaining your spiritual balance independent of your circumstances. That no matter what's going around, I'm still dependent on Christ. Contentment is not dependent upon the situation around you. I can be content. He says, rather it's good or rather it's bad. It's not dependent on what you have encountered in this life. It, 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 isn't that what Paul's saying? He's saying, I can be content no matter the situation. So let me just ask you, how are you doing this year? It's 2020. I mean, do I need to say more? I mean, if we talk to anybody right now, you just say 2020 and all of us roll our eyes. We're like, can we get out of this misery? Most of us are like, can we get past this? Can we turn the corner to January 2021? Can, please, one day we will look back and we're going to go, man, do you remember 2020? For those my age and a little bit older, you remember when it was 1999 and Y2K, and we're like, oh, the earth's going to come to an end. We look back and say, you remember? Remember that day? And we look back and we say, oh, do you remember 2001, September 11? We remember those. We're gonna, this is going to be no one of those days. Do you remember? Not just a day. Do you remember 2020? What's your memory going to be? I think that God has given us an opportunity to learn contentment to learn contentment. See, that makes the most important question as we look at Paul's, Paul's life. How do I get it? How do I achieve that? How do I truly have this satisfied life? Let's look at some principles that we learn from Paul when it comes to how to have contentment in every situation. First of all, you've got to realize it's a learned trait. We do not come into this world downloaded with contentment. I wish it were that way sometimes. Do you not? I wish I could say, man, the day I was born, I had all the contentment and happy and peace. You know, I didn't worry about anything. It doesn't happen that way. Contentment does not come quickly. Contentment is not something that you get in a one-time experience. It's not something that we just master and say, I have it. I hear people say, if I could just win the lottery, I'd be really happy and content. You know what happens when people win the lottery? They're broke. They blow it. 
If I could just find the right mate, if I could just find the right man or the right woman, oh, I'll be so happy and content. No, you won't. Life gets more stressful sometimes because that person starts to drive you crazy until you can figure that out. If, if I could just do that, if I could just go here, if I could just take this trip, if I could just... We've all said it before. Every single one of them, if I could just... I think those kinds of attitudes come from a misconception about happiness or about contentment of what it is. Here are three phrases that represent myths that people have bought into making them think that contentment can come quickly. I must have what others have to be happy. You say, well, I don't go around saying that. I don't go around saying, well, I wish I could have their car. I'd be happy. Or I wish I could have their house. But you ever heard a child say, Mom and Dad, everybody has one. You know what they're saying? Mom and Dad, my friend has one. If they have one, they're happy. And so I get one, I'll be happy. Isn't that what we're saying? I mean, the, the, the thinking of this myth is behind all fads and fashions. Well, I gotta have that pair of shoes. I gotta have that pair of jeans. I gotta have that kind of car. I gotta have that kind of house. You know what's driving uh, discontent crazy? I, I'm gonna warn you, um, ladies. I didn't say this for a service, but this just hit me. All these home remodel shows. Oh, I gotta have all this stuff. I gotta remodel. We have spent I don't know how many thousands of dollars on our house. No, we haven't spent any of it. It's in our mind. Why? Because we watch these shows. i got to have what they have. And then when I have that, oh, I'll be so happy with what I have. Even as adults, we get caught up in that thinking. Another myth is I must be liked by everyone to be happy. Oh, we wouldn't come out and just say it that way, that I must be liked. But don't we have that feeling? I mean, none of us... None of us like it when we know somebody doesn't like us. We, we want people to like us. We want to, we want to be popular enough that people go, oh, I like that person. I want to be around that person. But that's impossible. Matter of fact, it's the fast-track failure trying to please everybody. And, and why do we think we can please everybody and everybody be happy with us if Jesus couldn't do that? We do realize that not everybody likes Jesus, right? I mean, as a pastor, this is one I struggle with a lot because as pastors, we want everybody to like us. And it's really hard when people don't like us. And the truth be told is sometimes you don't like your pastor. And sometimes your pastor doesn't like the congregation. Because that's real life. And sometimes we get in that struggle like, I got to be liked, I got to be liked, everyone's got to like me. You know what? Sometimes your husband may not like you, your mom may not like you, your dad may not like you, your kids may not like you. And if you're chasing that rat race, you're, you're your co-workers may not like you, your neighbors may not like you. If you're chasing that rat race, you're not going to find contentment. Another myth is if I have more, I'll be happy. That's the old myth behind possessions. John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much more would it take for, to make you happy? To which he replied, just a little bit more. And when you get that little bit more, what do you want? You want a, a little bit more. Ecclesiastes 5 says it well, he who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. So what is the advantage of wealth except perhaps to watch it as it runs through your fingers? You ever had that challenge? Some of us were just like that, like money in our hand is like water is going through our fingers. We get it and it's gone. The more you make, the more you spend. If more produce contentment, then the richest people in the world will be the most content and the most happy people. But that's not the case. Because contentment is a choice. And get this, God expects you and me who are believers in Jesus to be contented people. 
He expects us to live a life of contentment. Consider some of these passages that makes that thought clear. Not only good to be content, but that God expects it. God does not expect us to always be on cloud nine or to continue to experience this joyful euphoria, but he expects the general spirit of our lives to be one of peace and contentment. Look what he says to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know what that verse tells me? There's an absolute truth there. There's an absolute truth that we can chase all the stuff of this world and it's not going to fulfill. See, I, I was at my kid's birth. And I can promise you, Luke and Caleb did not come to this world with Nike shoes on their feet. Lily Grace did not come into this world with an iPhone in her hand. And we know that as parents, or you've been around a newborn baby, you know they come into this world with nothing. And I've never preached a funeral where I go out to go to the funeral line and the and hearse pulling, going to the, to the cemetery has a U-Haul behind it. Because we know we don't take our stuff with us either. What are you chasing after for contentment? Paul says, don't think that having things is going to provide that contentment. Look what John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3. Some soldiers asked John the Baptist what they must do to express right living. And listen to what John says. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. Can you believe that? I mean, I understand. Don't extort. In other words, don't cheat people out of their money. All of us can give a thumbs up to that, right? We're all in agreement. Yeah, don't try to steal from people. All of us will probably give a thumbs up. Don't be a liar and, and make up things about other people. But be content with your wages? I mean, that's part of living right? Now, I associate with a lot of preachers. And you would think that preachers are huge spiritual giants would have all this stuff under control. But you know what happens at preachers' meetings? Now, we haven't had one in a long time due to COVID. But you'll be at a preacher's meeting, you'll be sitting around a table with some guys, and inevitably there's some kind of conversation that comes up along the lines of, you know, I work really hard, I put in all these hours, and the church just doesn't pay me. They just don't pay me enough. I need to be paid more. Now, I know that probably doesn't happen in your line of work. Happens to all of us, doesn't it? In every single field, I need to be paid more. I'm worth more. I need to make more money. I don't care what age you're at. You think you deserve more. God doesn't expect us to be lazy. There's nothing wrong with trying to better yourself. But the question is, until an opportunity presents itself, are you demonstrating dis discontentment with your present situation? And I wonder sometimes, do we get stuck in our present situation because we are not content and you say i want a door to open to something greater or grander or more income are you worrying making others miserable by your life of discontentment hebrews 13 says keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because god has said never will i leave you and never will i forsake you see god i think is asking us to be thermostats and not thermometers See, a thermostat controls the temperature. A thermometer simply registers the temperature. God is saying, you choose contentment, and I want you to learn the consistency of that lifestyle, no matter the circumstances, because I will always be with you, and you set that thermostat in the room. 
contentment. It's something that is an acquired trait. The next two points, Paul helps us to see that it's the secret of a learning process, is that contentment is adjusting to circumstances. Life is full of its ups and downs. We, we just uh, wake up tomorrow and the news will be changing probably to something new with this virus situation or then a political situation or in a financial situation. We know how that has been, that daily things are changing. And Paul says in Philippians 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. In other words... The Philippians were kind of in an upswing at this time of life because they were able to send Paul a gift, but they had been in some down times before this because they had not enough money to be able to send them any help. And that word opportunity there means an inability. They didn't have the ability or the funds to send him anything. And life for Paul was a roller coaster experience. Sometimes things of plenty, sometimes times of want. And at times he's riding along in that paycheck to paycheck. But at other junctures, he lived in a prosperity time when he had plenty. It's a wild, wild ride for Paul. One time plunging down to hunger, another time shooting up to be filled, diving down to a drastic need, shooting back up to have an abundance. Through it all, Paul discovers to remain flexible. He didn't lose his faith when he slept on hard ground, growing and a a growling stomach. He didn't lose his faith and forget God when he didn't have a nice home and a hot meal. He said, I've learned how to be content in these situations. You see, spiritually mature men and women know how to handle both situations without letting either upset their equilibrium with Christ. Many times, what do we do? Life is great. God is good. Life is bad. Where are you, God? Man, I have so much blessing. God, you are so good. Oh, there's sickness in my life. God, why are you allowing this? Versus being a balanced Christian. As Paul says, I'm content. Whether I have a lot or I have nothing. Whether it's going great or it's going really bad. See, Paul is saying here, one of the things you must do in order to learn to be content is be able to adjust to change. And there's studies upon studies about how hard people take adjusting to change. In fact, I'll go as far as saying your happiness in life may depend on how well you can adjust, how well you can roll with the punches, how well you can be flexible. Adjusting what Paul's talking about in verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I see that Paul says, listen, you can do this, but there's some roadblocks. There's some roadblocks that hinder our ability to adapt and hinder our ability to be flexible. Three things that we need to stop doing in order to cultivate a a competence to adjusting life circumstances. We need to stop comparing ourselves to others. See, if you want a sure formula for being constantly miserable in your life, you just make a habit of comparing yourself to those around you because there's always somebody who's doing better and who's going to be a threatening you. As soon as you look at somebody else's life, you go, oh my goodness, they got it better than I have it. You remember the Wicked queen of Snow White, she used to ask the mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And she was content as long as she was number one. She was no longer number one. Then her motives changed, her behavior changed, her actions towards others changed. How do you feel when someone your age or younger gets a bigger house than you do? How do you feel when somebody who you work with gets the promotion, you didn't get the promotion, a better position? Does that destroy your contentment, or do you have a genuine peace and, and excitement for somebody who maybe has something you don't have? 
Another roadblock is we need to stop being controlled by circumstances. See, most disgruntled people blame their sour attitude on unfortunate circumstances. They're like, like we discussed earlier, thinking, you know, I would be happy if. Circumstances change all the time. The real problem is not that their circumstances are at fault, but that they have an unrealistic expectation of life. See, here's what's happened in our generational uh, passing life from one generation to the next. The baby boomer generation, or even a little before, were raised by parents who witnessed the Depression, and they grew up just after it, and they had it tough, and so they determined that my children are going to have it better than I had it. And that was, in one sense, a good thing. It's a nice thought, because who doesn't want their child to have a better life? But in cases, in some cases, that pendulum swings just so much, swung so far in the opposite direction that they've given us too much. And my generation grew up thinking we should have it better than mom and dad. Many moms and dads just flat spoiled us. And so what happens is we figured out we should start our, day, start our life out where mom and dad are at. Mom and dad have a three houses, I mean three, three to four bedroom house and two cars and money in a bank. And I should get married and at 22, 23 years old I should have the same. Or it took mom and dad years to save and to get to that point. The problem with those kind of expectations is that when unpleasantness comes, instead of facing it realistically, we think that we're being deprived or we think somebody's treating us wrong. See, when the marriage gets a little unpleasant, we conclude this person is destroying me and so we walk away from the marriage. Or when the body experiences some health problems, we get our real sorrow and say, God, why is this happening to me? Why would you allow my body to go through this health challenge? What happens is when we have an idea of way of thinking, Anything that goes against that idea, it starts to destroy us. We need to stop and learn to live with it. John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. We live in a fallen world. Listen to me on this, please. God does not want you to just cope with your circumstances. He wants you to learn to be content, even though your circumstances may not be ideal. Who knows what tomorrow brings? Are you going to be content to walk through it? See, the way we begin to do that is remove this third roadblock. We need to stop complaining and start praising. That's a little bit more tough, isn't it? See, remember we said a couple weeks ago, when you complain about your problems, then what do you do? You increase your anxiety. When you think, when, when you thank and praise God for His goodness, then you increase your peace. Do you have that thankful list where you just write it out and you say, all right, Lord, here's all the things I'm thankful for. Why? Because I'm going to pray. And as I pray and I remember all these things to be thankful for, my house, my car, my family, I have a job, a roof over my head, I have food on the table, and God, you are so good to me. When I pray that, what happens is then peace comes. But when I just start my complaining list, my anxiety rises. See, if we're honest, we have to admit that most of us aren't very good at that. We tend to think it's harmless. But in reality, it's destroying our contentment and it's arousing the anger of God. Numbers 11 says, complaining displeases the Lord. Displeases the Lord. And Psalm 77 says, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Have you felt overwhelmed this year at all? I know I have. And I can guarantee you, here's my confession. The times when I've been overwhelmed... I've been complaining too much to people about life situations and what's taking place this year. Let me challenge you on something. 
Because I think this is one area where we think, oh, it's no big deal, but we start complaining a lot. What have you been doing with your social media lately? I've been greatly challenged about what I post and how much to post and how often to post. been tempted to get off of social media because it's just so negative at times. But I don't want to get off it because I want to stay in connection with people. And, and I want to suggest that you would watch, if you haven't watched it, on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. You need to go watch it. Sit down with your family and watch that. But Brian and I watched that. But I've also been thinking about this beforehand. Like, how am I really using my social media? To be honest, I, I know I can't change anybody's mind about the political landscape. So I've decided I don't need to post anything political. To be honest, I, I can say all I want to say about wearing masks, not wearing masks, should we, should we not, what the coronavirus is. I'm not a scientist, and I think the science is still trying to figure out. So it doesn't really matter what I post. No one's going to believe what I post anyway. So why get in that argument? And so for social media, I, I want to take it back to what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an encouraging thing, sharing life thing, relationship thing. And so let me challenge us, church. Can we go 30 days with no complaining on social media? Ooh. I mean, what would it be like if you say, you know what, they're complaining. I'm not getting in that discussion. No, nope, I'm not going to complain about the president, the vote, the election, the money. The, I'm not going to do any of it. I'm only going to share... Look at this funny story. I'm going to share, look, at this happened to my family. This is fun. Oh, can you pray for me because I have a little challenge going on? I'm just going to make my social media about that, and I'm not going to complain. What would happen 30 days if we said social media, no complaining? Because for some reason, social media is a great place where we can complain a lot. And we speak in ways that we would never speak to somebody face-to-face. But are we doing what Psalm 77 says, I complain and my spirit is overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. Satisfaction in life is an acquired trait, consists of being flexible, adjusting circumstances. But the real secret to being content is this. Contentment is being anchored to Christ. Anchored to Christ. Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Him. Who's Him? Christ. He's saying, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. I can do all things because Christ will give me the strength. In fact, the word strength here is dunamis which is where we get our word dynamite, which stands for the word power. And Paul says, all my power to be content, to make it through life, comes from Jesus because he is like a dynamite. Boom! What are you anchored to? Jesus will provide the power if you quit trying to be self-sufficient and be Christ-dependent. Paul's saying, what are you anchored to? You know, my wife and I were blessed to be on the West Coast for the last week seven days, watching the ocean and watching how strong the ocean is. You know, if you went out in the ocean and you thought, I'm going to put an anchor down, you better make sure you're anchored very strongly. Because if you drop an anchor and it's not the right weight and it didn't hit just right, you may think, well, my boat is anchored right here and I'm going to fish right here. And before long, you'll look up and you'll have floated way over here and you'll be lost going, wait a minute, I thought I anchored down somewhere over there, but now you're out wandering around in the ocean. And Paul is saying, listen, you be anchored to Christ because if not, we wander way over here and all of a sudden we look up and go, where am I? Life is miserable. I'm unhappy. I'm discontent. What's going on? Well, you were supposed to be anchored to Christ. Paul says, I can do all. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the power. That's the dynamite. You know, I hear 
people, even Christian people, say things like this. I don't really want to be rich. I just want to have enough to pay my bills and not have to worry all the time. I don't want to take a trip once in a while and not have to, have to be so concerned about the finances and all the pressure. I'm guilty. I've said it before. Just, just a little bit more. We're kind of like the fellow who was asked, would you like to be poor and happy or rich and miserable? And he thought for a moment and said, I'd rather be semi-rich and moderately depressed. It's true. See, the problem is that we never quite achieve that level where we have enough to be content. It is said that Alexander the Great conquered the world and then sat down and wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Again, hear me, church. If you have the whole world, it will never be enough to fill the longing in your soul. And as I look and I see a few young people here, you all live in a world that is constantly telling you, you've got to have, you've got to have, you've got to pursue. And the sooner you can learn, I don't have to have all this stuff the world offers, the happier and the more content you will be. See, when we completely submit our will to Jesus Christ, when we take Him to be the Lord of our lives, when we place our ultimate confidence in Him, then He supplies strength. And when He supplies that strength, then there's three attitudes I see take place in a person that is living a life of contentment. They start to know that people matter more than things matter. In verse 16 of this chapter, Paul says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. And then verse 17, Not that I am looking for a gift. For Paul, the Philippian people meant more to him than the things they had sent. He was glad that they sent them, but he's saying, I just need you and I need the relationship I have with you. See, as you mature, you begin to feel sorry for those who are caught up in the rat race trying to impress others. Paul's like, I just realize how important people are. Rudy Kipling, speaking to a graduating class at Yale University, said, Someday you're going to meet somebody who doesn't care that much for wealth or fame or personal attention, and you're going to realize just how poor you really are. That's the mindset Paul's trying to say. What's important? Is it the stuff of the world or is it the people, the relationships? See, and being content is having an attitude that helping others is what really lasts, that serving is what really provides greatness. Caring about people is what's important. Another attitude change is that the spirit matters more than the flesh. Paul's body was not in good shape. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that his vision was going. Some think he had migraine headaches, and others saying that he learned to be content. He could say that because the inner man was more important than the outer man. What was happening inside was much more important than what's happening on the outside. Our culture places an inward emphasis on the body. We've got tanning salons and million-dollar fitness centers and cosmetic surgery. And I guess some of that's okay because the Bible says we should take care of our bodies. But Paul also wrote to Timothy and said, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Paul saying, listen, as the inner man or woman ought to become more and more important to you, what's going on in the inside. I mean, you just think, and think about it for a moment, about the time and the dollars that we spend making sure that we look right, that, that our body image is right, that our diet is perfect, that, that we're doing all the right things to take care of these bodies. Just think if we invested just part of that time into our inner soul. So if you get up in the morning and you spend an hour getting ready, getting dressed, showered, bathroom, all that, what about saying, I'm going to knock that down to 45 minutes and give God 15 minutes? 
How would things change by taking care of the inner person? You know when you've really arrived and you're really realizing you're having some pieces, when you go out of the house and you go, I don't really care what my hair looks like. Some of you are like, I don't have a lot of hair. It doesn't really matter. Inner pieces, when you go out of the house and you're like, yeah, my clothes don't really match. It doesn't really matter. Or I don't have the greatest logo on my, on my shoes or on my shirt. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Or, or the clothes are getting old. It, it doesn't really matter. I'm not too worried about all that stuff because I'm more concerned about the inner man or woman. Jesus made it very clear that true beauty doesn't come from without but from within. And one other is, as you mature in Christ, eternity ought to, more, ought to matter more than time. See, when Paul wrote these verses of Philippians, he realized that he may never get out of prison, but he's still content because he realized there was something beyond the grave. And as you mature in Christ, this world will mean less and less. You, will, you can feel it and see it and touch it, but you go, it's all temporary and it really doesn't matter. Matter of fact, if you had that mindset where eternity is more important, what we're walking through in 2020, you can kind of roll with it and go, it is what it is. Second Corinthians, Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Look around this room. What do you see? Different ages? Different skin color? Different body shapes? Different thought processes we see right here? Don't fix myself, my mind on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen becomes your focal point. Christ, who died for you. People who've gone on to heaven. That's what's real. And there's a special contentment in the maturing Christian to realize that their hope can never be taken away because they're thinking about the future. As I get older, more and more I realize how much I think about heaven. More and more I realize how much I think about, I can't wait to see my dad. Can't wait to see my father-in-law. Can't wait to that grand reunion when we're in heaven together. And more and more to realize the stuff of this world is not important. Hayden Robinson tells a story of a young Chinese boy who wanted to learn about the precious uh, stone of jade. And the young lad comes to the teacher and says, Can you teach me about jade? So he goes to his office and he sits down and he says, hold your hand out. And the young lad opens his hands up and the teacher puts a piece of jade in his hand. He said, close your hand on top of that jade. And he closed it. And the teacher sat for the next hour and talked about everything but jade. He talked about the weather and he talked about teachers and he talked about politicians. And he talked about money. And at the end of the hour, he said, hey, give me a piece of jade back. He said, I'll see you tomorrow. The young lad leaves the office thinking, well, that was kind of weird. He didn't talk about jade, but I'll go back tomorrow. He goes back tomorrow, and he says, stick your hand out. Puts another piece of jade, and says, close your hand. Again, for the same hour, just talked about anything but jade. Never mentioned a word jade. Never talked about jade, but he just talked about life and all kinds of stuff going on in life. And that went on for several weeks, and a young lad was about ready to give up. Like, this is crazy. This guy is teaching me nothing about jade. He goes back to the teacher's office, and he sits down, and he says, all right, got my hand out. And the teacher puts another kind of stone in his hand, closes his hand, and right away the young lad said, wait a minute, that's not jade. He said, you got it. You understand. Now you're really ready to learn because now you know the difference. You're now ready to work with the precious stone because you recognize the genuine from the counterfeit. Do you? Do we? 
do we recognize the genuine process, the genuine thing God has offered us for contentment versus the counterfeit things the world wants to offer us? The world has all kinds of counterfeit, all kinds of misconception it puts before our face. If you want to live a life that is satisfied, then you must recognize the genuine, the cornerstone, what we have in Jesus Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ. When we realize who we are and whom we belong to, then we will do what Paul says and says, I've learned, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Bow your heads with me.